Welcome back to The Shelf Oddities. I'm Serafina. And I'm Ambie. And the oddity that I'm feeling like today is a jar of crushed up monkey skulls. Mm. Um, I don't know why. I saw it on Facebook on this little <laughs> oddity group. And I was like, that's effing cool. And then I spent like 30 minutes researching that it's actually a thing. And I was just very fascinated by it. So that's what I picked today. Right. What kind of oddity are you feeling like? I am feeling like two taxidermy frogs dressed up as witches with little witch hats dancing around a cauldron. Oh, yours is so much better than mine. <laughs> <laughs> it's Halloween, baby. True. It is time. So, oddlings, this is the last episode of Odd October. I don't know if you've listened to the last one we just put up, but I had to come in and be like, just kidding. We added another one. Instead of doing eight episodes, we're doing nine, baby. <laughs> so this is the last episode of Odd October. Halloween is tomorrow, and I'm very excited. We have given you so many intro topics that have gone on for so long. So today, in our double feature of our Halloween sleepover, we present to you are no sleep stories. No sleep is a Reddit sub a Reddit subreddit. Is that uh, it's just that a subreddit? Right to me. Yeah, subreddit. <laughs> yeah, subreddit. <laughs> it is wonderful. I have been a reader for years of this subreddit. It is so good when you're trying to get that spooky vibe. We will credit our stories when we read them and also link them. Please go support them. The author of the story I'm going to read has other works. Go support them. They're wonderful. And uh, Ambie's story will be linked below as well. Go check out that subreddit if you like the vibe of this episode. And let's go ahead and just get into it. Get comfy. Dear onlings, get yourself some hot cocoa or maybe some cider or whatever it is you're drinking. Um, so the story I've chosen for us today thought it was really fun because it kind of um it has all of the spooky halloween we need and it also ushers us into the seasons to come so Ooh. i want to present you guys with the snowman ritual mm -hmm. so this is by author uh made this for taladin and it is the snowman ritual the following is a set of instructions on how to perform the snowman ritual this is a peace and prosperity ritual to be performed during the winter months in order to obtain favor and protection throughout the coming year, and will take three days to complete fully. The earliest written accounts of this ritual date back to the 4th century CE in Greater Scythia, Scythia? Scythia? Scythia, now Ukraine and southernmost Russia. This translation has adapted the original materials used and wording of the incantations to be more accessible for modern societies. Despite these changes, recent attempts suggest that the correctly performed rite is still very effective. Tradition dictates that this ritual be performed in the days between Christmas Eve, or the winter solstice, and New Year's Day. But, in theory, it should be effective during any cold period where there is sufficient enough snowfall. This ritual works best for farmers and homeowners who keep livestock and or pets. Urban apartment dwellers can attempt it, but will have a much harder time ensuring that the ritual is not interrupted or disturbed during three-day duration. Warning, for your own safety, 
Please read the entire document before attempting the ritual. Sarah, put down your knife, dude. Okay? <laughs> you will need snow coverage of at least three inches with temperatures near or below freezing over a three-day period. Two tree branches or wooden sticks, preferably forked at one end. String or rubber bands. Plant materials such as dead leaves or dried grass. Vegetable oil such as canola or olive oil. Animal materials such as a strip of leather, clump of fur, cluster of feathers, etc. Animal blood such as a cow's or pig's blood. This can be purchased at your local butcher shop or supermarket. Scissors, a sterilized needle, a lock of your hair, a drop of your blood. Instructions. At the edge of your property, build a snowman. It must be at least as tall as you are, so be sure to set aside the time and energy necessary or enlist family or friends to help you. Ensure that the front of the snowman is facing away from your house. Use the tree branches on either side to form the snowman's arms, but do not give it a face. That will come later. At sundown, take the plant material, the vegetable oil, and the string or rubber bands out to the snowman. Facing the snowman, you should be looking at your house over its shoulder. Secure the plant materials to its left hand, your right hand, with a string of rubber bands. Dip your finger into the vegetable oil and press the finger into its left side of your face, your right side. This is a snowman's left eye. As you do this, recite the following. Snowman, snowman, see my land, hallowed soil on which we stand. Snowman, snowman, bless my home, guide me back if e'er I roam. Afterwards, return to your house. Lock the door, draw the curtains, and go to bed before midnight. If you wake in the night and hear shuffling in the snow, do not open your curtains. The snowman is moving about, judging if your land and home are worthy. If you wake in the morning and the snowman has returned to its original position, congratulations! Your land and home will be safe for the next year, and you will be sure to return for any long journey you take. If you wake in the morning and a snowman is on a different part of your land, take heed of it. Whatever it is near will be affected by some calamity within the following year. If you wake in the morning and the snow has not melted, but the snowman is gone, move. <laughs> the next day at sundown, take the animal material, the animal blood, and the string or rubber bands out to the snowman. Facing the snowman, you should be looking at your house over its shoulder. Secure the animal materials to its right hand, your left hand, with the string of rubber bands. Dip your finger into the blood and press the finger into its right side of the face, your left side. This is a snowman's right eye. As you do this, recite the following. Snowman, snowman, see my herd, pet and cattle, fish and bird. Snowman, snowman, bless my flock. Grow them grass from thorn and rock. Afterwards, return to your house. Lock the door, draw the curtains, and go to bed before midnight. If you wake in the night and hear a shuffling noise in your house, do not open your bedroom door. The snowman is moving about, judging if the animals in your care are worthy. And Sasha is very worthy, and I won't hear otherwise. <laughs> If you wake in the morning and the snowman has returned to its original position, er, position, congratulations. 
Your pets will be healthy for the next year and any livestock you own will thrive. If you wake in the morning and there is an inexplicable puddle of water near something your pets own, like your dog's bed or bird's cage, take heed of it. You should probably look into pet insurance for the next year. Mm. If you wake in the morning and the snow has not melted, but the snowman is gone, say your goodbyes to them while you can. I am so, so sorry. The next day at sundown, take the scissors and the needle out to the snowman. Facing the snowman, you should be looking at your house over its shoulder. Use the needle to draw a drop of blood from your fingertip and draw it in a straight line across the snowman's face, forming a groove in the snow. This is the snowman's mouth. Use the scissors, clip a lock of your hair, and stuff it into the grooves of the mouth, ensuring that the hair does not fall out. As you do this, recite the following. Snowman, snowman, see my breath, drawing ever unto death. Snowman, snowman, bless my heart, judge me whole, and hence depart. Afterwards, return to your house. Lock the door, draw the curtains, and go to bed before midnight. If you wake in the night and feel a dark presence in your bedroom, do not open your eyes. A snowman is standing over you, judging if your soul is worthy. If you wake in the morning, congratulations! The snowman will have returned to its original position, having judged you worthy. You can expect good health and good fortune in the following year. Warning! To date, there are no surviving accounts of what happens to someone who is judged unworthy. Take from that what you will. The next day, before sundown, preferably when the sun is highest, go over to the snowman. Approach it only from behind. Do not walk around to face it. Demolish the snowman completely. Break the tree branches as many times as possible and scatter the snow around the yard as evenly as you can. Make sure that no trace of it remains. Say absolutely nothing. Once the snowman is demolished, the ritual is complete. Enjoy your year of peace and prosperity. Use it well for when the days grow short and your luck runs thin. You may find yourself looking anxiously for the next deep snowfall. If so, I pray that the, jo- I pray that the snowman may judge you whole this year and every year after. Ooh. Damn. <laughs> yeah. That's crazy. <laughs> also like it does you could convince me that's the origin of snowmen and i would believe you i might if i didn't live in an apartment you know i might uh <laughs> i might i might have tried it this winter you know Mm-mm. Mm-mm. no you're not Mm-mm. messing with it no no rituals <laughs> you ain't finding me uh ritual short mm, not that one <laughs> he said if you feel a dark presence over you baby i'm out <laughs> dude i read this like four years six years old right i read it like four years ago and i remember like loving it and then i when you brought this up i was like shit what was that one that i loved and so i literally just kept researching like no sleep bread at winter no sleep bread or christmas no sleep whatever whatever and finally i found it again i was like i'm this is the one i was like this is the one <laughs> this is the one so, yeah but uh i love it i don't know that is really fun it there is something about snowmen that is inherently creepy. 
You think so? Yeah, I've always thought so because they're people. You know, they're not, but they're they're people that are just like well, kind of like standing in your yard. Aren't they kind of like effigies in a way? Yeah. Or, or, yeah. Yeah, there's something about them and then like as a kid you like humanize them, you know, when frosty goes dark. <laughs> you know. Okay, can I give a confession? Oh no. No confession. Okay. No, go ahead. I'm not a frosty of a snowman guy. Oh yeah. Um I don't know. It's just, I am either. This doesn't do it for me. Uh, do you mean like you don't want to have sex with him or you just like don't care about the story? <laughs> Sarah. I don't dude, you have wild takes, okay? <laughs> <laughs> I just mean like the movie just doesn't really do it for me. <laughs> no, yeah, I wouldn't say like I'm I watched it as a kid and stuff. And like the song will get stuck in my ear like sometime around you know sometime in december and i would make snowmen i actually have a really fun kind of thing so whenever i would go out as a kid and like make a snowman my mom would always have like hot chocolate ready for me when i like came back in okay and like i just i didn't i it was like a memory that was like kind of buried for a while and then yeah. uh, last year, my neighbor's kids were making snowmen. I They seemed to have been judged worthy. They made it. But uh, as they were doing that, I like inherently like went in and like made hot chocolate for them. And was like, here you go. Because like, it was just in my like kids who are out playing in the snow deserve hot chocolate. Mm. And so like I have like good memories with snowmen. But I also remember like looking at my window at night. And being like, he's there staring menacingly, like menacingly. <laughs> that was a pretty good impression. Thank you, I chose. That was good. <laughs> yeah, I guess growing up in dirt oil country where uh, we don't really get snow, we just get ice. Like it gets extremely cold. And uh -huh. we'll get negative like ten, negative eleven, negative. Really? 12. But it's a desert, right? Oh, so yeah. it's very Yeah, but we don't get snow. So I didn't really see my first significant snowfall till I was in Massachusetts. Um, and like my opinion on snow is God is it beautiful for the first week yep. and then I'm sick of it. Yep. That's, um, I made one, <laughs> I made one snowman my whole life. It was fun. Didn't think much of it. Kind of wish I would have experienced that as a kid. Yeah. Uh, not that I don't think adults can have fun with it, but for me it was like, yeah, this is cool. It probably would have been like way cooler if I was a kid, you know, but mm -hmm. it was, it was fine. It was, it was a good time. Yeah. Back when I was like three feet tall, it was like really fun. Yeah. But the idea like this snowman, I got to make it the same size as me. No one needs a six two snowman. <laughs> when I read it and I sent it, I sent it to my buddies. Um, and I was just like, did you guys ever read this? And my buddy goes, so me and like my three best friends, we're, we're like, we're fat dudes, right? Like our yeah. group chat is literally titled fat asses. It's just like, and um, my friend was like, "Do I need to make him like my weight too? Like, does he need to be round?" I was like, "I don't know." And my buddy was like, "Well, don't all snowmans they're kind of round, aren't they?" He's like, "Well, I don't know, but do I need to make him like? Do I need to give him some man boobs?" I'm like, "Tanner, I think you're thinking far too into this." <laughs> the thick snowman. <laughs> yeah, thick snowman, three C's. <laughs> Yeah. That is so funny. No, I that, I like that story. It definitely feels like something that my grandmother would tell me was the start of snowmen for sure. 
Yeah, I thought it was kind of fun, kind of like transitional for the next season coming up, you know? Definitely. So. I cannot believe like snow is coming. Even though in Ohio it's weird, we probably won't get snow until like February, but oh, uh, really? yeah, the seasons are changing. Thank you, climate change, the real horror story of the day. <laughs> I have a question for you. Yes, ma'am. So like, do you, you're in a desert area. So do you have like a lot of sand? around no it's just dirt just hard dirt dirt. okay because i was like does sand freeze i don't know like if it gets like an ice sheet is it just like a really unstable ice sheet or does Does it like sand freeze it is possible that sand will freeze and become less effective when the temperature is very cold negative 30 degrees celsius or below i don't know i'm american yeah I'm not bragging about it, but I legit do not know Celsius. The freedom <laughs> metrics are not computing today. Exactly. That's really cold. That's so interesting. Well, good to know. That's a great question. Though. That's that's something like, like my dumbass would just never really think. <laughs> well, because I was well. So here's the thing. Last year we had like, a, well, I guess it wasn't last year. It was the year before. We had a crazy like ice rain where it was like slushy. Mm-hmm. Like it was like walking around in a slushy. And then it froze solid, and then we had like a, like a one degree week for you know for the whole a one degree week for the week. Oh, I'm a genius today, and I was just thinking like, well, if you got a lot of ice there, I didn't know if like if you were in a sandy part of the desert, if it would like right, right. be stable or not. Because I had to like slide on my ass to get into the chicken coop because oh. <laughs> you couldn't walk oh, really? on it. Yeah, it was just an ice shelf. You couldn't walk on it, and I don't have, like, you know, toboggans. Is that what they're called? Uh, The things you put on your feet? I'm just not wintry enough for that. Okay, fair enough. I am asking the wrong person, that's for sure. (laughs) All right, well. Um, I did want to ask one last question as your friend before we move on to your story, if that's okay. Yeah. So we are pretty pretty decent friends at this point, I'd like to think. Uh Uh-huh. Is, could I maybe come bunk at your place for two weeks this winter and build a snowman and like I'll do the ritual and then and then you can just benefit from the success. I don't want to see your dead body. <laughs> <laughs> the answer is right. yes, just I wait. would love for you to come up for two weeks. I would love that so much. I would have so much fun, but like I don't want to clean up your corpse. that's where i draw the line fine (laughs) whatever all right i'm so sorry you know boundaries it's it's healthy boundaries you know yeah 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 yeah, yeah. oh my goodness all right are you ready to get into mine Yeah, yeah yeah let's hear it all right so my story is authored by christian wallace the title of this story is I've been squatting in a condemned high-rise. These are the rules I follow to stay safe. I am not homeless. I have a home. I just don't own it. But it's mine, and I work to keep it. Every city has its fair share of abandoned buildings to squat in, but usually you got to deal with either cops or shitty neighbors. The Anadel high-rise has neither. Police stay away, so do the locals. As a stranger from out of town, I stumbled across the place on my first night in the city 
and thought it a little strange that a 28-story tower block had been left to rot. Every window black, every light in the courtyard smashed. No cars in the lot, no booth for a guard. Not even barbed wire on the fence. Barely half a mile from a playground filled with shouting, drunken teenagers, but none of them strayed in the direction of Annadelle. No fires or music or bottles hurtling through the air. It was silent. Inside, I found that the lobby had been torn to shit. Double doors ripped open and left that way for what looked like years. Easy access for the curious, but I was the only one there. Most of the first story had collapsed. Waterlogged ceiling tiles turned to mulch by shitty British weather. I know water is invasive, but it had practically fucking colonized the place so bad algae was growing up the walls. British would know. (laughs) Even the elevator shaft was flooded. My own reflection looking back at me as I peered through the brackish water and caught a glimpse of the old rusted carriage just a few feet below. I couldn't help but think about standing on top of it, waist high, and reaching down to pull open the emergency hatch. Only natural to wonder what was down there. Little metal box soaking in pitch black water for years and years. I thought about pressing the button, calling it up and seeing the elevator rise in spite of all logic. An image I still think of from time to time. Meanwhile, the empty shaft loomed above. Cables whistling in the wind. I've learned not to linger by it. If you look up, you'll sometimes see something ducking out of the way, pulling its head through the doors before you get a look. It finds it awfully funny, even tries to make a game out of it, like peekaboo. Play too much, though, and it starts to pop up elsewhere. Any open door becomes an invitation. Sent more than a few people running for their lives in the middle of the night, but bad news for them. That thing is more than free to leave this place if it's part of a game. If you ask about Annadelle, most people just shrug or laugh. Kids talk about it the same way they talk about any haunted house. Difference is no one dares anyone to go up there. No one uses it to get pissed or high. No one sneaks into the basement to have a risky little fuck. No one hides their stashes there. It has all the hallmarks of your classic urban legend. Only people actually stay away. They'll laugh and joke and tell scary stories, but they treat the soil it's on like it houses a radioactive leak. In the council, I'm surprised they haven't knocked it down, but they, out of everyone in the city, have the most to lose by talking about it. They built it in the mid-50s as government housing. Only a lot of the young mothers who moved in there found their children's health taking a turn for the worst, starting with newborns. Babies that wouldn't wake after a peaceful night's sleep. The kind of deaths that got written off as either negligence or abuse. Screaming teenage girls hauled off to prison on the words of a doctor who didn't give a shit. It's always the mother's fault in some people's eyes. And these girls had no one to stand up for them. Two in the first year, four in the next, and they kept on coming for every year until it closed. Wasn't until 1982 that someone traced the source of deaths to tainted water storage on the roof. 
toxic metals leaching into the supply. Not enough to kill an adult, but bad news for anyone with a weak immune system. 38 women had been imprisoned by then. Another 23 had killed themselves before they could be sentenced. And those are just the ones accounted for. Not all the deaths were from the water. Annadelle has a way of being bad for any child's health, no matter the circumstance. But Annadelle kept on killing, even after the doors were officially shut. If anything, it only got nastier. Talked to one cop who told me he found a guy dead from sepsis on the sixth floor a couple years after the place was shut down. No one could fucking believe it. They reckon this guy scratched himself on a nail and caught gangrene like it was the 1800s. Never went to the hospital, just laid there and died slowly as the infection spread. But not before he took every last bit of furniture in the room and shoved it against the door. Strange enough on its own, but it was the flag he'd made out of his own clothes that freaked everyone out. He'd scrawled help on it, like he wanted to get someone's attention down below, even though the lock was on his side. He could have left any time he wanted. The cop I spoke to said he was there when they kicked the door down, still remembers the look in the dead man's eyes. He was glaring at the door two days after he'd passed white-knuckled fists gripping a blanket that smelled sickly sweet from all that infection. There were others, too. Lots of people falling, many of them without a good reason. Got so bad they bricked the roof door, but by the time I had arrived, someone had cleared it all the way with a sledgehammer. I still don't hang out out there. Not after I first went up and saw pale fingers gripping the ledge, like someone was hanging off of it and holding on for dear life. I reckon a lot of people see something like that and think a person needs their help. They go rushing over to offer a hand, but when I saw it, something about those grimy nails set alarm bells off in my head. Fingers looked all wrong. So I took my coat off and used a broom handle to move it closer to the ledge. Sure enough, those ugly hands snatched at the coat and ripped it out of my hands, sending it hurtling to the parking lot below. I've thought about taking a closer look from time to time but I got a thing about heights and could never bring myself to investigate it much further. You'd think I'd leave, but it's my home. I own it as much as it owns me. People even refer to me as the caretaker. Kind of like they forgot I wasn't always here. Police treat me the same. Can you believe that? Any reports of a break-in and they call me on my number to go take a look, like I'm sort of official. Only other guy who was here as long as me was the philosopher, and I don't know his name. Just call him that because of the books he left behind. He came here back when the block was still just a place to live, and he stuck around for a few years after its closure. Lots of notebooks in his flat. Thousands of pages talking about child sacrifice made to gods who don't like being named, along with pictures of strange things frozen in ice and medical photos that look fake. At first, I thought he came to document the curse. He has dozens of books just recording all the strange things he saw, like birds with too many wings or milk that turned to clotted blood in the bottle. But after going through everything he owned, I found letters to a wife who had died in childbirth. He kept her death certificate way at the back of an old-looking box filled with the letters he kept writing her long after the date. Another box, just a row over, had the letters she'd written back. 
Awful things scrawled on random scraps, shit and blood for ink. He dated them himself and sometimes wrote notes about how they came to him. Delivered by rat that was cannibalized in front of me. Pulled by my dentist from a cavity in my mouth. Written in the web of a spider with 13 legs. Anyway, he gives the real reason he moved to Annadelle in one of the letters. Says that Annadelle was the key to helping her. That he was weeks away from figuring out how to open the door. Told his wife he'd bring her back. Told her he knew how. I never figured out where he went next or what happened to him. But his apartment was locked when I found it and likely would have stayed that way if the key hadn't turned up inside my pocket on the first morning. Now I live in his old place. It's safe in there. He's written things on the wall that keep everything well behaved. Symbols that I don't understand, but which are easy to trace, so that's what I do. I go over them every couple of months, and so far they've kept me safe and sane. Because you do need protection in Annadelle. I don't know when in its history the curse went from something mundane to something very real and very dark. It wasn't all just bad luck or poverty, not by the way... <clears throat> sorry, not by the end and certainly not anymore. You can't just go scrolling around Annadelle, certainly not at night. It's dangerous. For one thing, it attracts a constant rotation of the deeply unwell who are likely to attack on sight, if you're lucky. They usually turn up dead in the halls come morning, although sometimes it's just bits of them that I come across. Strips of skin floating on the brackish water that floods the basement stairwell, or bloodied fingernails embedded in the ceiling plaster. Weirdest one was a single tooth and a light bulb, bloody gum still attached to the root, the glass all around it somehow still intact. Many of them come here with business, something a little like the philosophers. Rituals, bargains, snowmen, things like that. You didn't catch that one, did you? But the snowman? Yeah. Dude, I'm like so entranced by your story right now. But yes, I I did hear, but I'm just like, okay, what's next? It's not, it's not real. Uh, I just threw that in there. I'm literally just like laying here. Sasha's like in my lap and I'm just like listening, bro. I'm sick into it. It's not a good idea to interrupt them or to give them even the slightest hint you might be a problem. Every night, I lock my door and wait for Annadelle's business to finish, and come morning, I do a sweep, floor by floor, and I clean up whatever's left to the tower block's strange pilgrims. Most of the rituals don't look real to me. In fact, I reckon a lot of people who come here just end up as victims of something or someone else. There are a lot of reasons to stay out of Annadelle at night. Most of its visitors strike me as a little naive. Most of what I see looks like it got stolen from a bad death metal album. I once found a book called Satanism and Witchcraft in the 21st Century. It's hard to imagine that the secret inner workings of the universe can be found in something with an ISBN number and 3,000 Amazon reviews. <laughs> of course, not all attempts at exploiting Annadelle's energy are so hackneyed. I had one guy turn up at my door and pay me three grand in cash just to show him the darkest corner in the building. I wasn't sure what he meant at first. Thought he meant light and shadow? Sort of, he replied when I explained this to him. Darkness like that can be a part of it, but I'm looking for a corner. 
has to be a right angle or more acute. Ideally more acute. You understand that term, right? He seemed arrogant, and that last sentence confirmed as much. Good-looking guy in his late 20s, nice suit, looked like the stereotypical banker, acted like one too. Plenty of places like that, I said. Lots of funny rooms in Annadale, people trying to make the most of limited space. Sometimes the walls meet at tight angle, sure, but I don't know what you mean about dark. There's the basement, it's flooded, can't think of anywhere darker than that. He bit his lip and hesitated for a second or two as if he was actually contemplating it. Not a bad suggestion, actually, but no, too difficult to reach. And I don't just mean dark as in the absence of light, I mean dark like under the bed. Dark like that one chip in a wall that leads to a hollow space between the bricks, and as a child you can't help but wonder what lives there. Somewhere that just inexplicably feels like it's not got as much of God's attention on it as everywhere else. I thought about this for a second. His words were vagueish, but damn if I didn't know what he meant. A corner? I asked. Has to be an acute corner? He nodded. I think I know the place, I said. And he smiled like a real creep. I took him to a flat on the eighth floor. It was run down like everywhere else, but there was still enough of its old furniture lying around. You can pull open random drawers in there and still see the cutlery people once used. There's even an old analog TV on an old stand. You can perch on what's left of the sofa and stare at that TV and get the feeling you knew the people who lived there once. Run your thumb over the dials on the toaster, the handle of the fridge, or the yellowing plastic of a light switch, and feel an aching loss that creeps up on you out of nowhere. Look up and you'll see that the light fixture has been torn out of the ceiling, like someone had tried swinging from it. Not a big place, by the way. Three rooms, a bedroom with a double bed all rumpled up, a living room slash kitchen, and a tiny little spare room that looked like it must once have been used for storage or a washing machine, maybe, if you were single and childless. A slither of space, a triangle carved out of whatever room was left over when the more important walls had been put up. That sofa I mentioned, the TV, they were all placed so whatever sat down could always keep an eye on that room and its contents. You'd see they put a cot inside and it's still there. Blue bottle flies circling overhead. You can't see inside the cot, not unless you went in and actually pulled the blankets out, but it's been decades and no one has managed to yet. It's dark behind those old blankets, a heavy shadow that dissuades a closer look. Like there's something in there no one needs to see and it spent a long time sat there eating what little light there was. Even with a window in that room, daylight doesn't really filter down. Perfect the businessman said when he saw it. He gazed around that flat one detail at a time, his head pausing for a moment and a smile creeping across his face as he laid his eyes on the broken light fixture. And the cot, the side of it, the flies that still circled above the faded Winnie the Pooh blankets, it made the breath catch in his throat. Oh, this is, yeah, this is good, he told me. Dark like under the bed. You've earned that money. I could have had a dozen men sweep this place and they wouldn't have understood the brief as well as do you have. Thank you, I replied, if that wasn't even how I really felt. Quietly, the man sat down and began to unpack his leather satchel. No pentagrams to be found, although he did unpack seven strange-looking candles. He caught me looking at them and smiled. Homemade, he said. 
each one shaped by my hands. I'm not a good artist, but it's the effort that counts. Took forever to run the wax. Of course, that was the easy part. The hard part was getting the fat to make it. Oh, shit. Did you know there can... <laughs> Did you know there can be a surprisingly high level of security around a hospital's medical waste department? Oh, shit. I didn't, I replied as he took out some flimsy bits of wood and a, fault and a few small nails. He oh so carefully began to nail the splinters of wood together into what looked like a random shape. Oh, well, he sighed after a few moments, his fingers nimbly gripping the tiny hammer as he tapped away. Already he had put together at least six of the strange little wooden polygons. In each one, I felt a strange sensation. Would you like to stay and watch? He asked. Absolutely not, I answered. He stopped tapping and smiled once more. Oh, you're clever, he said. That's the correct answer, by the way. And if I'm to respect it, I should inform you that now is the safest time to leave. I made my way to the exit just as he lit the first candles, but not before I looked towards the cot one last time. I was surprised to see a hollow blackness that extended beyond the doorway, like a, like a curtain had been draped across it. Only there was depth to it that drew the eye. The businessman paid no attention, but after a few more seconds, he eventually looked up at me expectantly. Can I ask what it is you want? I said. Everyone who comes here, I don't get the sense it ever works out for them. I'm looking for a new kind of afterlife, he replied. Do you need one? We all need one. But only those of us willing to take a few risks will get a better deal. Everyone else... It's worth the bother, but look who I'm speaking to. He looked to the darkness that enveloped the doorway. Shapes could be seen floating past. You should leave now, he said. I pulled the door shut and noticed that the sun was rapidly setting. I ran to my apartment where I knew the walls would keep me safe. When I returned the next day, the man's satchel was still where I'd last seen it, propped against one of the arms of the sofa. The candles had burned down to the very end of the wicks and left a lingering smell that's still there all these years later. And of the man himself, well, in the room with the cot, which still has those blue bottle flies orbiting overhead, there is now a shadow burned into the wall. Oh, shit. It, it's blurry and diffused, but vaguely recognizable as a man on his knees, his head pressed to the floor in a gesture of supplication. I've known it to occasionally move, to turn its head and look towards me, at which point my temples begin to throb. My ears pop, and a darkness begins to encroach upon the edges of my vision. I have never exactly considered the flat to be Disneyland before, but I now avoid it like the plague. Still, it could be worse. Not every ritual ends so clearly, and at times I've had to personally intervene, something I hate bitterly. If people want to go poking around in the universe's undercarriage, that's their business. It's one thing if I've got to sweep up what's left of them afterwards, but at least that's a one-and-done job. Sometimes it isn't so clean. One guy turned up and told me he'd be a new resident, my neighbor, and we'd get to know each other. A bumbling old man with an upper-class accent and the look of a professor who was turned down on his luck. He sat up in the room next to mine, and no matter how little I spoke to him, he never really got the hint. 
and kept trying to act like a good friend. Few times I did initiate conversation, it was to tell him the place he had chosen didn't have much in the way of protection. He pointed to some funny little rashes and told me they were his protection. Over the next few weeks, I'd bump into him from time to time, always on his hands and knees, scraping some dank corner or moldy pile of bumpy growths. He collected fungi, told me on the first day, and I'd often see him wiping his samples onto petri dishes that he whispered quiet words to whenever he thought I wasn't around. I don't think he was sane, but he probably wasn't completely barmy because he lived long enough to get a sense of Anadel and only come out in the day. Meanwhile, his apartment filled up with a growing collection of chittering terrariums and pickle jars, their specimens hidden by murky fluids. All over, he planted and cultivated strange mushrooms and molds, encouraged them to soak up the darkness of Anadel, and set them to grow in the rife conditions he'd cultivated. Towards the end, his living room had mushrooms growing out the walls, plaster crumbling beneath microbial armies until there was only concrete and rebar, and even then mold would continue to to grow and thrive. Too many R's in one sentence. (laughs) A few times, I peered in and found him feeding meat to the frilly growths that had exploded out of the old furniture. During this time, he was the first of us. During this time, the symbols on our shared wall would often grow hot, and I found myself having to replace them on a near daily basis as he tinkered away on the other side. I asked him once or twice to tone it down. This is important work, he growled, an unseen darkness creeping into his voice. I'm not some ditzy crackhead trying to summon the Baphomet. I'm not looking to get high. This is science. Progress. This is what I'm working towards. Yeah, well, is your <laughs> oh, Yeah, well, your progress is trying to eat its way into my flat. Can you ask it to stop? He stopped, froze in mid-gesture like I'd said something either profoundly stupid or insightful or likely a bit of both. He looked at the rashes on his arms that had by now started to sprout some of their own strange fruit. When he finally spoke again, it was a sly, it was sly, like a lecherous old man propositioning propositioning a nurse. This fungi, he said, they had samples of it in the university for 30 years. Can you imagine? They never even realized what they had until I found it and unlocked its potential. Now I've finally found the source and I can do things no one else thought possible. This entire time, my thesis has depended upon the idea that the fungus has a capacity for information processing way beyond anything we've considered before. And your idea is a good one, you know? Asking it just might be an option. He scuttled off without another word, and for the next few days, he set about the building like a furious little honeybee in spring, poking and prodding, setting trap after trap and cleaning them vigorously of any rats or mice he caught. When I did my morning sweeps, I'd find him hovering over Annadelle's latest victims, scraping up what was left of them into transparent bags for his own purposes. Don't mind me, it's worthless to you, but these poor souls could help me achieve great things, he'd mutter. This persisted for another month. He no longer scraped mold or mushrooms off old apartments. 
he became interested only in meat. And by the time it came to an end, I can say confidently that I have never smelled anything worse than the prickly, musty odor that wafted out under his locked door. It became so bad that I began to wonder if I might have to ask police to help and have him removed, when finally, he simply disappeared from Annadelle's hall. One morning, he was there, annoyingly shooing me out of the way as he lowered jars into the flooded basement, and then the next he was gone, and Annadelle's halls were silent once more. But that didn't mean he'd moved out. Far from it, actually. It took two days before I decided to just go ahead and break his door down. I kicked at it with a short, sharp blow, only to find my leg immediately disappear through the wood that had the texture of sodded cardboard. Not that it matters, but are you imagining our protagonist as a male or female? It's a, I, uh, it's a dude. Oh, in my head. Dude? Yeah. I guess because you're reading it, I'm imagining it like a girl. I'm imagining oh, like okay. a cat, Miss Everdeen. <laughs> <laughs> Sorry. <laughs> I will be your Jennifer Lawrence, baby. Don't even worry about it. <laughs> if we burn, you burn with us. So bad. <laughs> <laughs> I freed my foot and tried a different tactic, grabbing the handle and pulling so hard that it simply popped right out of the rancid wooden frame. Free to move, the door swung open with an eerie creak, and fetid air, hot and damp, blew right out of the room. Inside, I found that the man's specimens had gone wild. Terrariums had shattered, their contents spilling outwards. Frogs as large as footballs glared at me from behind furry fronds, and insects with human eyes scuttled away before the amphibians could snatch them up. In one corner, rats had built a hive out of old cardboard, their backs covered with fungal growths that resembled human fingers oh, and shit. other appendages. It certainly is a last of us. I'm telling you, Tom. In another corner, something that looked a little like a black rubber sheet slapped furiously at passing vermin, and it took me a few seconds to realize it was a slime mold. When it finally caught something, it dragged the strange creature squealing into the dark corner where it grew and constricted around its meal like a fist. I stared at it horrified until one by one black orbs unveiled itself from within the strange mass and I realized it had eyes to stare right back at me. It was a cacophony of god-awful terror so gripping that it kept me from hearing the muffled noise of a human struggling to speak. Eventually, it did reach my ears, and I used my torch to light up the far wall without having to actually step inside. I found the scientist half-grown into the wall. Algae and moss coated him from head to toe so that he was no longer recognizable, but I had to assume it could be no one else. Wide eyes glared at me with terror and pain as nasty little creatures nibbled away at what was left of his shins. Oh my god. Meanwhile, strange tendrils probed at his ears and head, never resting for a moment. He kept trying to speak, but the algal growths kept driving their way into his mouth. One by one, they pushed too far and something snapped. His eyes went wider still, his squeals became hysterical, and his jaw slowly slid further down his chest until it hit the floor with a sudden thump. Finally made contact, I asked. 
An awful idea if I've ever heard one. What would a mushroom have to say even if in the best of circumstances, let alone one that was grown in the ruins of Anadel? I can only assume you never got around to telling it to stay off my wall, did you? <sighs> no, you probably had your own reason for doing all of this, and that's what took priority. That made me wonder if that's what he'd asked for. As the thought entered my head, I took a quick look around and tried to see if anything particular stood out to me. Something was growing on the sofa that looked strangely human-shaped. It might have just been my imagination, but in the dark, it seemed to have turned towards me. Meanwhile, the scientist continued to shiver in agony. His eyes focused on me and begging for help. I'll see what I can do, I said before slamming the door. Something about that strange pile on the sofa had deeply unsettled me. Me too. <laughs> I put the word out, asked for a gun, but got a crossbow a few days later. A nervous-looking 16-year-old boy ferried it to my door. I was surprised he entered the building, but who knows who ordered him to do so. I've required a strange sort of respect amongst the locals, and it comes in handy. This boy looks like he would have stomped on my head and robbed me blind any other day, but when he spoke to me, he did so with much more respect than I ever imagined I deserved. I thanked him, took the crossbow, spent an afternoon practicing with it, and then used it to kill the scientist the next morning. It took a few hits, but in the end, one thumped into his forehead and shut down his whimpering moans. I didn't see anything on the sofa this time, at least not anything human-shaped, which I was thankful for. After that, it was a simple case of calling the police and beginning a long chain of events that ended with half a dozen men in hazmat suits spraying the room with noxious chemicals. For a while, I had been worried that they'd find a corpse and ask questions, but by the time anyone actually entered the room, there was nothing left on the scientist save a splotch on the floor. I never really figured out what he was after, although it's not uncommon for my morning sweep to turn up a body or part of one covered in fungal growths. And I have been known to occasionally catch a glimpse of a strange person lowering themselves into the floodwater of the elevator shaft. Of course, I might just be making connections that aren't really there. All sort of strange things live in that water. The entire level is flooded, and if something was down there, it'd have free reign over quite a large space. It's a strange world down there. I should have known on account of the one visitor who gave me a very bad time. I'll call him the fisherman, since he came to Annadel because of the flooded basement. He saw a photo online that's been circulating around for a while now, if you know where to look. God knows who took it and how, but it shows the flooded stairwell leading to the basement, and beneath the brackish surface, there is a hand that's all out of proportion. Fingers splayed with perfect symmetry like a starfish, and it's reaching up out of the depths and resting gently on the third step below the water. When I first met the fisherman, he was sitting happily with his feet over the edge of the flooded shaft, water up to his knees, with a rod and line set up beside him. It was quite a surprise at first seeing him there with a little fly fishing hat. A chubby but healthy-looking man in his 40s with an egg mayo sandwich in one and a phone playing Candy Crush in the other. <laughs> I called out to him as I approached because in my experience... Startling someone in Annadel is bad for your health, no matter how sane the visitor appears. He looked up when I caught his attention. He smiled amiably. Hello, he waved with the sandwich. You're the caretaker? Yes, I am, I answered, and you are? 
just a Taurus. <laughs> a Taurus. Haha. <laughs> Haha. Care to join me? The sun had only risen a few moments ago. You weren't here when it was dark, were you? I asked, more than a little suspicious. Oh no, you've only just caught me. Been here barely ten minutes before you showed up. I was told you'd be willing to help in exchange for a small fee. What sort of help? I asked. Oh, just give me a nudge if any of the lines start moving, he said while pointing to a rod he'd set up besides the basement stairs. The door was propped open and the line led down into the darkness below, water gently lapping just out of sight. Another line had been set up in a corner of the lobby where the floor had been torn away, revealing a hole straight down into the basement. I can't keep an eye on all of them at once, you see. I have bells ready, but, well, two heads are better than one. What is it exactly that you're hoping to catch down there, I asked. Are you familiar with the primordial ocean, he said? The abyssal waters that God split into light and dark, all that. It's not a physical location per se, but it does connect to certain bodies of water depending on the time and place. Last recorded manifestation was in a glass of old whiskey underneath a forgotten bar in Mexico City. Some poor, some poor fellow knocked it over and didn't notice until the following day when half the bar was suddenly underwater. Quickly rectified, but some of the things swimming in that water were something else. All that from the bottom of a glass no wider than my wrist. Imagine what we could do with this he said, while gesturing at the water beneath his feet. You think there could be fish alive down there? At least, he replied, I'd be willing to pay for any reliable information, of course. Do you have any idea what might be down there? Not really, I shrugged. But I guess it wants to be left alone. Hmm, you might be right there, he said while looking at his other rods. I didn't exactly put down any old lore, you know. He reached into his pocket and took out a strange tuft of fur and ivory, holding it up for me to squint at. A tooth from a, oh, a tooth from a man who drowned at sea. A drone collected it off a shipwreck near the Norwegian coast. The fur is actually red algae that was found growing on his bones. I have plenty of these and, well, other things that might appeal to what's on the other side. My research was thorough and expensive. Come on, take a seat. Flat fee, 1000 Just sit there until the sun starts to set. I just have to sit and let me know if you hear or see anything. I groaned and sat beside him, folding my legs instead of letting them dangle into the water below. Despite my retinence, we stayed like that for several hours. He brought lots of food, good homemade stuff, along with plenty of cold beer. We sat there and spoke very little, but we did eat and drink a, and drink a tremendous amount. Not the kind of thing I do normally, but I was being paid to be there, and I didn't really have anywhere else to be. It was, all in told, a very pleasant afternoon. Until I fell asleep. When I awoke, it was with a terrible gasp. My chest was tight, like something had been sitting on it, and judging from the terrible giggling and scampering feet I heard running off into the darkness, it might not have been just uh -huh. a feeling. Already panic was setting in as my eyes darted to the open doors and saw that the moon was out and had been for hours. I fumbled for my torch and turning it on saw that there was no sign of the fisherman. 
All of his stuff had been left behind, yet all that remained of him was his hat that still floated on the water. Even as I watched, a smooth, glistening shape curled beneath the water and plucked it off the surface. I recoiled recoiled i recoiled and crawled away from it as fast as i could this was bad i knew deep in my heart i had never been as at risk as i was in this moment the open doors that led outside were tempting but just beside them were the stairs that led downwards and i swore i could hear something approaching i couldn't help but picture the fungal man i'd seen in the scientist's flat then again the basement was huge and who knows what lays down there I decided to go for the stairs. The entire time my heart was in my chest, I had never been caught outside my room at night. Not since my first night when I'd slept in the lobby with my coat pulled over me. You don't get lucky twice, not with Anna Dell. So I knew I had to be careful. I had to be quiet. My only hope was to go unnoticed. I took to stealth, climbing each floor in perfect silence, hiding in well-known spots at the slightest hint of footsteps, human or otherwise. Annadelle comes alive at night, whispered mutterings from strange children who descend from air vents, living there for God knows how long. Other times I see apparitions, including one, a toddler, the sight of whom makes my stomach growl with an insatiable hunger that hurts just to contemplate. She stared at me with pleading eyes as I sunk away from her open door. I might have been tempted to help if it were not for the sight of the moon peering through her translucent image. And yet, despite all of this, I somehow made it to the 14th floor alive. Only it was there, right at the final hurdle, so close to safety, that I came across something out of my own nightmare. A woman stood outside my apartment door, silent, pale, dirt-covered fingernails. It was all too often I'd open my door and find muddy impressions on the floor made by a woman's bare feet, and now I knew who left them every night. I couldn't see her face from where I hid, but something about her seemed profoundly familiar. When she turned towards me, I remembered. I recognized her, even though most of her face was missing. It was the philosopher's wife. (gasps) He had succeeded, it seemed. Oh, shit! But I couldn't imagine at what god-awful price, because the woman who stared at me had clearly weathered some years in the grave. It was only the poor lighting in her long hair that had covered up just how bad of a state she was in. A lipless grin stared back at me below, sunken cheekbones and hollow eye sockets. And yet I could tell that in another life, she had been beautiful, which had only made this sight all that more gut-wrenching. My darling, she whispered. And there was something about her voice that I found hard to stay sane in the face of, I don't know why, Over a decade in that place, and I'd borne witness to living nightmares, but it was this walking corpse that pushed me to my limits. The unescapable feeling of loss weighed me down, and without realizing it, I found myself taking steps towards her, even as my knees buckled. By the time I reached her, I was crawling until I could clutch her grimy, icy leg, and that was the last thing I remember before I woke up in my bed the following morning. Everything seemed so normal, so completely mundane that I could have written the whole thing off as a bad nightmare. But there were footprints leading from my bed to the door. And later on, I found the fisherman's things much as he'd left them, although when I finally reeled his lines in, I found the lures gone and replaced with bits and pieces of the man who'd first set them up. I threw it all into the water below and decided it would be best to forget him. Every now and again, of course, I can't help but check my peephole at night. 
I never did before that, but now I do. I see her every single time. She looks sad. Hurts me to think of her out there. It ought to be terrifying, but it's more like someone's ripped out my stomach and heart and let all my insides fall out the bottom. Each time I see her, I wonder what exactly it was that he did to bring her back. He only leaves one hint, a final letter, I think. It's not like he dated them. In it, he says he would give everything to have her in his arms once more. Not only his life, but everything he's already lived. Every sunset, every good dream, every nightmare, every victory, every loss, every little memory that makes him who he is, he'd give it all just to save her. Sometimes I wonder about him, figuring he, we'd probably be about the same age. I'd like to think back and imagine what it would have been what it would have been like for the two of us to meet as young men. But for some reason, whenever I try to remember what my life was like before I came to this city, before I woke up with that coat pulled over me, well, I don't know. It's just hard, that's all. It's almost like there's nothing there. Like something reached in and took all those years away. I guess it's just one of those things I'm better off not dwelling on. The end. I like uh, a lot. Do you get it? Is he the philosopher? Mm -hmm. Yeah. He lost his memory somehow? Yeah, he gave he gave up every last memory he had. He to... gave up every mm -hmm. last. Oh my yeah. gosh, Isn't that's really good. Isn't that wild? I, the, I like that. The first time I read the story, it stayed with me for so long, and that's I like that a lot. That's when I came up with the idea for this episode because I was like, the people need to hear this one, and this was. <laughs> I mean, this has fifteen thousand upvotes, and it's. Mm, a year ago it's about a year old mm -hmm. so i definitely think it's a story that deserves its flowers the writing is so good it really is it really is um so i uh i'm an audiobook kind of guy yeah and um there's this i have all the hunger game audiobooks mm -hmm. and when you read that you sound like the lady that voices katniss oh really Right, I, it was Katniss in my head the whole time. <laughs> I'm just like the sassy attitude, the like, <laughs> it's like this. I don't know, everything about it. I was like, this, this is Katniss. This has to be Katniss. Who voices them? Give me a second. It's actually, it's actually a, a famous person too. It's like, and I have it in my Audible. I'm pulling it up right now, unless you beat me to it. I love the Hunger Games. I do too. Let me get past my seven or my five Warrior Cat series real quick. Tatiana Maslany. Yeah, Tatiana Maslany. I don't know who that is. Tatiana Maslany. <gasps> it's She Hulk. Yeah. Yeah. Well, that's fun that I remind you of a. Uh, four foot two I, sometimes seven foot five <laughs> green woman i just don't think you i apologize because i could tell there were parts where you were like trying to like elicit a reaction out of me and i'm just sitting there like okay what's next like why are you stopping come on and you're like snowman <laughs> and i'm like yeah snowman okay come on <laughs> you're like yeah snowman of course you'd bring a snowman to anadolis obviously hello <laughs> that's what i do though when i'm really into something like you could slip something past me and it might take me a hot minute to like because i'm like processing everything my brain's going 90 miles a minute and i was always <laughs> just sitting here just like 
rhythmically petting the cat and just like staring at a candle on my desk just listening to you was like so into it it's just like well that's exactly what i was trying to elicit so really that's the biggest compliment yeah no you did it like a literally a i am like a toddler though when it comes to being read stories it's like my favorite thing in the world yeah (laughs) that's why i'm an audiobook early but yeah no I, I i was very much into that it was very very good like great great job I'm so glad you enjoyed the story. I love that story. I think that Christian is an amazing author. The The pieces that are put out are so great. And that one was just one of my favorites. So definitely go check it out. There were some things I left out. Um, so that way, if you do want to read it, you know, there's some extra stuff in there. But I just thought it was amazing and I wanted to share it. So thank you yeah. for listening. Thank you. Well, Oddlings. That brings us to the end of our double feature. We hope that you enjoy your Halloween or your Samhain or your All Hallows Eve. We hope that you have a few tricks and maybe a decent amount of of treats. I'm going to have a decent amount of treats. I love Halloween. I'm so happy. (laughs) Be careful when it snows next and what you can conjure. Always be in your room. By the time the sun sets. And stay out, Arcadia. Buckety, buckety, boo.